Let's open our Bibles, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, where we left off. First John chapter 3. Let's read, starting in verse 1. It says this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, because he's coming back, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're children of God now. See, I think one of the things that John is, is trying to bring out is in this passage we're going to look at today, we, we already looked at this passage, we're going to look further, but kind of in a um, you know, review here is that there's been a radical change through faith in Jesus Christ that we have now become children of God. That's what we are. And being a child, all of you are children at, at some point in time, God willing, unless you got brought from another planet or something. Being a child, you have benefits of being in the family, and you also have responsibilities. Benefits and responsibilities. You know, we have, we have a father that cares for us. We have an inheritance. We have a new body to look forward to. We have heaven in our future. We're citizens of heaven because we're children of God. And, and we're going to see God. We're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to see him. Job talked about that. I read, I came across that yesterday. You know, he says, I'm going to see him. No matter what happens here, he says, I'm going to see him there. But on the responsibility side, you know, if we are truly children of God, and, and that's kind of what John's going to talk about in the, our passage today. If we truly are children of God, there, it, it affects how we live. There's a responsibility there. And the, the responsibility is this, is to act like we're his. To act like we're a child of God. We're not just like anybody else. We're a child of God. Look at verse 3. We talked about this the last time we looked at, the last time I looked at 1 John. He said, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. He says, when we, when we see him, we, we shall be like him, for we, sh we shall see him as, as he is. So there's a sense where, where even now we are purifying ourselves because we want to be more like him, more like Jesus, because he he's ultimately pure. So there's a sense that you and I, you know, to put off the old and to put on the new, to, that we have a changed life. If you truly are a child of God, there's a changed life. We're called to be pure. We're called to be holy. I, I, I remembered back uh, after I became a believer. Uh, how many of you remember the Chick Tracks? Anybody? Chick Tracks. Made by a guy named Jack Chick. And uh, he had this one, and I remember it. It was called Holy Joe. How many of you remember Holy Joe? There's a track. And, 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 I, and I saw it online. I read, I read it again. And uh, it was about this, 
Zubatis soldier who had a faith in Jesus Christ, and, and it was just, it changed him. He was, it, and they called him Holy Joe because he just couldn't be anything other than what he was. And they persecuted him, and the sergeant hated him, and, and everything else, and, and uh, in the end, uh, he dies in battle, and, but the sergeant sees him, how he died, and, and, and uh, he becomes a believer as well. So there's something about, you know, are we afraid that somebody might call me, or you, Holy Joe, or Holy, whatever your name is? Are we afraid of that? Well, if I, you know, if I live differently, they're going to think I'm, you know, some kind of holier than thou. But we're called to be holy. Peter said it. He said, you have spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers choose to do. We, we've wasted enough life doing all that stuff. He says, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies, carousing. Detestable idolatry. You and I were called to be different. Later on, Peter said in his second epistle, he said, looking ahead to the, the, the changes that are going to take place, he said, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. You ought to live Holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. There's something about living for God that, that actually brings it about. He says it speeds his coming. Now, I don't totally understand what that, how that happens, but something is going on here. So let's move on now in 1 John. We're going to look at verse 4. We're going to start here in verse 10, uh, verse 4 through verse 10. We'll start in verse 4. He said, so he talks about purifying ourselves. He says, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Everyone who sins breaks the law. Now, <clears throat> sin is not like a popular word. In fact, in our, in our world today, you know, it pretty much gets pushed to the side. Like there is no such thing as sin. Because whatever is good to you is good. And whatever is you know, good to me is good. And we've got this relativism that's taking place. Oh, there are some things that are still so bad that everybody will say, yeah, that's bad. But, but, but for the most part, we've got this kind of a, you know, fluid. That's a popular word right now. Well, it's kind of fluid. But is it really fluid? Is that the reality? No, because he says here that sin is lawlessness and it, the, the definition of sin is breaking God's law. Not just the law that people make, that men make, but God's law, you see. God has a standard, and you and I, you know, the, the sooner we realize that and accept it, that God has a standard of right and wrong. There is no, you know, relative, what's well, relative to whatever you think. And, and so God has a standard, and it doesn't change. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Well, how do you know what that is? Well, you have to know what God's word says. You can't just make it up. You can't have someone else tell you what it is. We need to know what God's word says so we know what the standard is. The word, uh, one of the Greek words for sin is 
hamartia, and it literally means to miss the mark, where, we, where we've, you know, we're shooting for that target and we've missed it. That's what sin is. So anything that is against God's law is sin. That's what he says here. Sin is lawlessness, being without law, just kind of, I'm going to do my own thing. You read about it in the history of Israel where it says, you know, they didn't, they didn't have any leaders in the book of Judges, and it says that, that they did whatever was right in their own eyes. And how did that turn out for them? Real bad. We see it in our country today. We're, doing, we're, we're going down this path, and we're just going to do whatever we think is right. And yet, you know, I, I saw in the Proverbs, it says, you know, when the, or, or it might have been the Psalms, when the foundations are being destroyed, what will the godly do? We need to pray. We need to be examples of what is right and true and holy and pure. God's law, you know, we talk about law, and we say, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace and all that, but, but you see, God's law has, has a purpose. It's, a, it's, it's important. God spelled it all out in his words so that you and I could know what? That we're sinners. In, in Galatians, it says this, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, the law shows us where we are and who we are. There, there's a purpose for it. We, we can't just write it off. No, it's still there. It still stands. The Ten Commandments still stand. But they show us that we, are, we fall so far short. We're all sinners. Paul said it in Romans chapter 7 as, as well. He said, he said this, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. I would not, indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So, so we have this standard of God's law, and it shows us what the problem is. The problem is that you and I are sinners. Again, this is not a popular message. Well, you know, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. No, I'm not. I'm a good person. How many of your friends have told you that? I'm a good person. I don't, I don't really need what you have. I don't need that stuff. That's a crutch. That's a whatever. You know what? The Bible says we are all under sin. All of us. Every single one of us. Look at verse 5. What does it say there? Jesus appeared. You know that he appeared. Why? So that he might do away with or take away our sins. And in him is no sin. He came to do what you and I could not do. You see, we can't save ourselves. There's no way. There's no way at all. You know, the law leads us to Christ because it shows us that he is the only hope that you and I have. That's why he came the first time. You and I can't keep it. James uh, chapter 1, verse 10 says that if you stumble in one point, what? You, you've basically stumbled in all of it. You say, well, you know, I keep 99% of it. I'm just a 1% sinner, so I'm probably going to be okay. I haven't murder any, murdered anybody. You know, I haven't, you know, well, maybe I did do that one. Uh, you know, I haven't, you know, well, maybe I did that one too. 
See, this is the way it works. If you and I have done anything, how many of you can say, I've never done anything wrong? Well, as soon as you say that, you're busted. He appeared so that he might take away our sins. Because, you see, God knew that's why God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Because he knew that that was the only answer that you and I had. He wasn't just going to leave us like that. He said, you know, man fell, sin, Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. But God had a plan, and his plan was to send his son Jesus. So that he would take away our sin. He would pay the price for our sin. This is the verse in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's laid it on him. When Jesus was born, we celebrated Christmas not that long ago. It seems like 100 years ago. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. Anybody know what the name Jesus means? Savior. Savior. It's like... uh, the Greek form of Yahshua, which means, you know, Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah saves, the Lord saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. That's why, that's what he came to do. He gave, she gave birth to the son Jesus. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world takes away the sin of the world. Isn't this what John is saying here? John the Apostle is saying that. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. So so he he was sent by the Father. He came. He he was born there in Bethlehem. But what John says here next, I think is very important for us to understand. He said, and in him, in who? In Jesus is no sin. That's an important thing for us to understand and and, and to to grab a hold of, that in Jesus Christ there was no sin because because one of the common interpretations, common thought is that Jesus was just another man. Oh, he was a really good teacher. He had some really cool stuff to say. Oh, I love that one about, you you know, love your neighbor. Oh, I love that one about, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, that, that came from Jesus, by the way. Oh, I love some of the things he said. He's, he's really cool and everything. He's got long hair. I got no hair, but he had long hair. I used to have long hair. Serious, I'll show you a picture. But it says here, John makes it very clear. And John knew. John had spent how long with Jesus? If you spend three years with somebody, you're going to know, right? Some of you have, you know, you can spend three minutes with somebody, you know, that person is a sinner. If you marry somebody, you will know in short order, I married a sinner. And, And then the other person will say, well, look in the mirror. Because that's what we are. 
We're sinners. And, 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 but, but, but John spent three years with Jesus, and he, and he knew. And so he says here, in him was no sin. I couldn't find anything. There wasn't anything there. And Jesus talked about it himself. But this is so important to know because, you know, if, if he was a sinner, that changes everything. If he was a sinner, if he had sin, you and I, what hope would he give you and I? Because when he died, he would die for who? For himself. Because, you know, the wages of sin is death. And, and so, you know, if he was a sinner, he would have to die for his own sin. But, but Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin. To be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, he, he actually was made to be sin so that that judgment for sin, and sin must be judged, came upon him. And so as we trust in him, it, it doesn't come upon us. We, he says there that, that we might become the righteousness of God. Certainly we weren't before this, right? Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He faced everything you and I have faced or ever could face, and it was without sin. He's, 1 Peter 3.18, Peter says, Christ died for sins. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. And as he did that, he made us the righteousness of God. So that's important. It's very, very important. You know, we, we, we need to know who Jesus is. We need to know everything about him. But this is one of those, you know, foundation, uh, foundational truths about who Jesus Christ is, the only one who never sinned. And again, the only one who could die for us in our place. That's so important for you and I to, to grab a hold of that. I found this here, and some of you probably have seen this before, the ABCs of salvation. A, admit you're a sinner. Are you willing to do that? A lot of people aren't willing to do that. B, believe in Christ who died for you. And C, confess him as Savior and Lord. The ABCs of salvation. Let's move on because I got, I got more to go. and it's, it, I don't know. It's already, I don't know. Who cares? I got to make up for lost time here, people. We'll finish around 1230 or something. It's okay. We got cookies in the back. Verse six, this is kind of where we get to the, to the interesting part. Well, it's all interesting. It's all radical. But, but look what it says in verse six. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Some versions say, you know, whoever lives in him does not sin. You just don't sin anymore. So kind of the title of, that I put on this is, The Child of God Never Sins? Question mark? Is that, is that the case? Does that, does that mean that we become children of God and we reach that state of perfection? There was a teaching that it's probably still around in some circles of, of you, you know, you get to a place where you don't sin anymore. Sinless perfection. 
that we just don't sin anymore. Is that, is, is that what John is saying here? Well, look back to chapter 1. This is going back a little ways, of course, but chapter 1, and what does John say there? Chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word has no place in our lives. My dear children, he said, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, so John makes it clear here that, you know, if we, if we try to pretend that we're without sin, we're just deceiving ourselves. And, and it, the way is always open for us to be forgiven. How? When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So what is he saying back here now in chapter 3? Look at chapter 5 for a moment, verse 18. He says that, again here, he says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. Doesn't continue to sin. So when you, when you look at this and you, and you try to understand what is he talking about here, he's talking, the, the tense of these verbs here is, is what we call the present continuous sense. Tense, not sense, tense, present continuous tense. So what he's saying here is that we're not going to be perfect here, but what kind of a pattern is, is it that our lives have? What is the, the, the lifestyle that you and I are living? You know, it, David Guzik says it, it's someone that doesn't live a lifestyle of habitual sin, a settled continual lifestyle of sin. He says, which is inconsistent with a life abiding of Christ. As I've been saying in, from the beginning of this message, if you and I are truly born again, born of God, it's going to change the way we live. If we're just going to carry on in the old ways, Peter said, we, we spent enough time in the past doing that, and we're just going to continue to live against the standards that God has set out in his word, no law, lawlessness, no acknowledging what, what, what God's law is. It, it's not consistent. It's inconsistent with who, if we truly are a child of God. Now, now you know, I struggle with this, this uh, passage for a couple of reasons. But one, it's not my purpose to, to get anybody to question their salvation. I've seen people who got onto that track, and, and that's all they ever thought about. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? And they just, it, make, it kind of makes them insane. I've seen it, I, I, I've done, you know. But there also is a passage that says that, you know, we should examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. So look at my life as, you know, is something going on in my life or am I just carrying on in the same old patterns, the same old ways as the world and everybody around me? So kind of what are we talking about here? 
There was a there's a phrase, and you don't hear you don't hear this phrase much anymore. And as soon as I say it, you'll know why. I think. How many of you remember this phrase? Oh, they're living in sin. You don't hear that anymore. Why? Because what were they talking about? What, what was that referring to? People that are living together who are not married. They're living in sin. You, you don't use that phrase anymore. Why? Because it's so commonly accepted now. It's like the norm. Is that wrong? According to God's word, it certainly is wrong. Along with all kinds of other sexual sins, pornography, adultery, anything that really is outside the, the relationship of a husband and wife, they're, they're against God's law. They're, they're, you know, living outside of God's plan. And, and if we're just going to continually live like that, well, maybe we should question, like, am I really a child of God? But it, it's not just sexual sin, is it? What about lying, perpetual lying? What about drunkenness, pride? What about unforgiveness? I'll never forgive that person. It's really rebellion is what it is. It's kind of asserting, you know, my will against what God's will is. Now, these things, you know, these things are not just open, but they're also secret. They can be, you know, secret or they can be open, but it, God sees and God knows. God knows it all. Again, my purpose isn't to, to get you to question your, your salvation unless you need to question your salvation. How's that? I was trying to remember how that, that uh, saying goes, you know, to disturb the comfortable and to comfort the disturbed. Sometimes we need to be disturbed because we're too comfortable. Look what it says there. It says no one who continues to sin, who repeatedly, habitually has this lifestyle of sin against God's word, against the standards of God's word, has either seen him or known him. It's kind of a proof of our relationship. If we really have seen Jesus, if we really do know him, it will change the way we live. Bottom line, that's the truth. You, you can't just keep on going that way. 1 John chapter 2, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. 3 John, verse 11, anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. It's, it's inconsistent with a relationship with God. Look at verse 7. I really got to keep moving here. He says, dear children, do not let, any, let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. You know, there were false teachers in that day and, and, and uh, all different shades, just as there are false teachers today. And, and you can find plenty of churches. In fact, the sad thing, it may be that there are more churches now that would tell you, that this is okay and that's okay, living together is okay, you know, relationships with, you know, uh, the same-sex relationships, marriage, all the, all the strange things, you can find them today. 
Many churches are teaching this. They're false teachers. He says, don't let anyone lead you astray. And how are you going to know unless you know what God's word says? Well, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, that kind of gives me, uh, you know, justification to to carry on doing whatever it is that I want to do, even though God's word says that's, you know, that's not right. God's standard says it's just not right. The false teachers, they would say, that's okay. It doesn't matter. It only matters what you believe. It doesn't matter what you do, how you live. None of that matters because some of them would teach, you know, that kind of like the physical, the physical is just like kind of an illusion. It's the spiritual that really matters. The physical, that, you know, that that's doesn't matter at all. That's just plain Eastern mysticism. That's just weirdness. A lot of liberal churches out there. We got to stick to the word of God. You know, it's going to get harder and harder. Verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You see, there's this family trait. He, he's talking about being a child of God and... But he says here, if, you're, if you continue in this path, you're, you're really of the devil. You're a child of the devil. Jesus said, your father, the devil, in John chapter 8. But Jesus came to overthrow the devil's work. Satan is still at work today, but, but he's conquered, you know. He's been defeated. But there's this family likeness. Isn't that what I said in the beginning? Uh, to act like we're his. So you see this family likeness in the world, but not of the world, John said. Finally, verses 9 and 10. No one who is born of God will continue habitual lifestyle to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right and is is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. God's seed, the Holy Spirit living within us. If we've been truly born again, we're born again to a new life. Remember that song we sing sometimes, I've got a new life. How's that go, Chris? Living in me something? The true child of God can't just go on sinning and sinning and sinning. Now, does that mean we're never going to sin? No. We, we fall. We're, you know, Paul struggled with it. This is, this is, in my mind, this is a battle. This, that, this is a battle that you and I face. Uh, Ken spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, that this spiritual warfare... We need to have all the armor of God on because it's a battle. Paul struggled too. He said, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. But he said, thanks be to God. God is the one that's going to help us and give us that victory. It's a spiritual battle. You and I need to fight. Not just go along with everything. There's so much of that going on in our world today. Just, we just go on along with everything. We never speak up about anything. And that's one of the reasons why we're where we are today in our society. 
It's a mess. I don't know if you know that. We are in a mess. Billy Graham said it. He quoted the scripture, said, if we sow to the wind, we're going to reap the whirlwind. And you can see it in our world today. But on an individual basis, you and I, we, we, we need to know. Now, the last thing I want to say about this is that, you know, if for the child of God, for the child of God, are we never going to sin? Well, if I am a child of God and I sin, I'm going to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and also bad fruit. Because whatever a, whatever a man sows, what? That's what we're going to reap. We sow bad seed, we're going to raise bad plants. But if I'm not a child of God and I sin, I don't even care. I'm still going to get bad fruit because it's a, it's a spiritual principle God says in his word. In fact, uh, the, the phrase before that says, you know, God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. We're not going to get away with anything. God cannot be mocked. It's a spiritual principle. Whether we're believers or unbelievers, you know, we're going to reap what we sow. But he says, you know what? There's a difference between a child of God and a child of the devil. You know, we can't profess to be children of God and live like children of the devil. It's inconsistent. It doesn't work. So, you know, again, how do, you know, what do we, how do we deal with all this, you know? I think we, we need to understand that it's going to be a battle. And we're going to have to struggle and fight. Jesus came to, to, to break the power of sin over us. And, you know, it's not like we, we, we make this New Year's revolution. Revolution. <laughs> you guys are so graceful to me. I can't believe it. We say this, you know, I'm never going to sin again this year. Unless, as soon as you say that, you, you're already lost. But more, you know, kind of an attitude, like I'm going to submit and surrender to the Father and to His Word and, and seek to follow Him and seek to live for Him. That's, a, that's an attitude of the child of God, the heart of a child of God. I, God, I just want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want my life to be a reflection of you. Just, you know, as we read there... You know, we purify ourselves just as He is pure. And, and it, it, it takes work. Again, I mentioned this uh, last time I talked about this, this passage, the previous passage. You know, we have to make choices. What are we going to watch? Where are we going to go? What are we going to listen to? We have to make choices. And we can't fill our minds with, you know, impure garbage and then expect to be pure people. We have to make choices, but it's a, a choice of the heart first, and he'll help us. He will, every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a beautiful thing that we can call you Father, because we're your children now, because of all that you've done and because you sent your son Jesus to be my Savior, my Lord. 
making me a child of yours. Father, it's not easy, uh, and you know that. It's not easy to fight the, the good fight, not to just go along with all the garbage and the nonsense of this world, but, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower and strengthen us. As your days, so shall your strength be. Your word says you'll give us the strength that we need for that day. You'll give us the manna that we need to be strengthened for today. Father, I, I know that sometimes we... We know folks maybe who say that they're a child of God, and yet there's no evidence, there's no proof. May that, may, may that not be said of us. May we be those holy Joes and holy Joannas that live for you, no matter what the cost is. Father, help us. We can't do that without you. Without the power of your Holy Spirit. Maybe you're struggling with something and it's, it's seeking to overtake your life, some kind of secret thing. Bring it to the cross. God will give you the victory. I know that. He promises that. He's broken the power of it. Father, I pray too for any that are not truly children of God, but want to be. That all they need to do is turn their hearts and lives to you and <coughs> we'll find the grace and the love and the forgiveness. In Jesus, all you have to do is ask him in. Say, Jesus, I, I am a sinner. I admit it. I'm lost. But I believe in you that you died on the cross for my sin. That you rose again. And I'm not afraid to confess you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.